I'm Drew Miller, and you're listening to The Second Muse. To kick off season two, I'm talking with Sarah Groves and Brown Bannister about the first album they ever made together, Add to the Beauty, and specifically the song, Why It Matters. If someone were to ask me for an example of a songwriter who nails the fundamentals of songwriting, I would point to Sarah Groves. Her songs are slow burns, methodically stringing together thought after thought, steadily building emotional momentum until very often the last few seconds bring the entire song home with tears in the eyes and shivers down the spine. She wastes no words, but leaves enough unspoken for her songs to speak all the more profoundly. And in many ways, Brown Bannister is to record producing as Sarah Groves is to songwriting. He's a master of understatement, subtlety, and giving the song just enough of his own touch to bring out the voice of the artist. That's what makes them a marvelous team. What I love most about this conversation is hearing how sincerely they both believe that they are not originators, but faithful stewards of their art. I hear behind this shared conviction of theirs an abiding delight in the act of creating that I believe enlivens both their work and this conversation. So I hope this discussion leaves you with a craving to add to the beauty yourself and a hearty reminder of why it matters that you do. Sarah Groves, Brown Bannister, thank you so much for joining me on The Second Muse. You you, bet. Mainly Sarah Groves. No. Oh, come on. (laughs) Be immodest. Um, Well, we'll start with the Wendell Berry quote that uh, inspired the title of this podcast and just talk a little bit about um, what that quote means in each of your disciplines um, with both songwriting and um, record production. So um, the paraphrase of it is that it seems that there are two muses. There is the muse of inspiration, which gives us inarticulate visions and dreams. And then there's the muse of realization, who returns again and again to say it is yet more difficult than you thought. And, of course, we're talking about that muse um, Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And so I like to start these conversations by just asking um, if we were to personify that muse, Mm -hmm. how would you describe your relationship to the second muse? (laughs) Um, Even over the course of time, how would you chart that? Like, um, are you in good standing (laughs) or Mm -hmm. have you had a few falling out (laughs) moments? Um, So Mm. we'll start with you, Sarah, with um, songwriting and how you relate to that. particular voice well when i think about it i think a lot of it has to do with awareness if you're actually cognizant of what's happening that helps and it took me a long time to become aware that actually telling myself the truth is very very difficult Mm. i can like you say you have this first moment of inspiration and i compare that to um in your eye in your eyes when you have a floater you ever get floaters and you look at a blue sky if you look directly at it, it moves away. Mm-hmm. And that's how that initial inspiration comes, like he says, as dreams or as this sort of, it's mm. things punching yeah. through the subconscious. So mm. you have this experience that's tied to the all of your life, all the stuff you've taken in, what you've been reading, what you've been listening to, conflicts in your relationships, and something pops through. And in that moment, that's the first one I, I take, or that's my experience with it. Yeah. I'm sketching as much as I can because it's 
it's very um, it's if I look directly at it, it will move away. Right. If mm-hmm. I try to examine it, examine it in a in kind of with a logical sense or or come at it. Right. Um, so I, in that moment, try to capture what I'm feeling, all what music was playing, what brought that feeling about or that sense, so that when I revisit it for the kind of the work of it. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time, the second part, I would say, <clears throat> I was a good seven albums. I told you this the other night at that event. I said, my mother would take a phone call every record. Um, you know, I love that <laughs> complete crisis. I don't think I can do this. I think I've who, who told me I could do this? This so someone's been lying to me, uh, and people have been building me up or just sort yeah. of humoring me, and I'm really am not capable of this. Mm. And um, but I would have this crisis. It helped me a great deal when my mom said, "I actually take this call every album, and you, this is right on time," and that helped me examine what was really happening. And for me, I think I've realized that. For me, the song, or at least maybe not the song in all of its melody and all that, but the song exists, at least the idea or the the truth of it exists already. So mm. what I've done in that inspiration moment is I've uncovered a bone, and I don't know if I have a Tyrannosaurus Rex, or I don't know what's under the ground, mm. but I'm excavating then, what does this really mean? Yeah. If I'm If I'm really being truthful about it, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to really uncover... To me, that's the great, both the hardest part of it, but also the greatest joy. Much like I can't only imagine what an archaeologist would feel upon discovering a bone. So when I find something under the ground like that, um, then then I start doing this work. And for me, that comes... It's not always at the desk in, you know, in it, it's very much moving through the world with that idea in front of me hmm. and then looking for all the things that gather around it. And mm-hmm. often many things, I'm always working usually with themes. And so hmm. once I have that idea there, then it draws things to it as I move through the world. Mm-hmm. And I see it, I'll see it in a, in a movie or I'll hear it in a song or, you know, or in a conversation. I'll think, oh, that's that thing. Now I have to figure out what are the implications of that idea oh, man. all across the board. I love that. Yeah, like one thing that I'm picking up on is the way that that shifts ownership. Um, and I, I would imagine it's such a freeing um, sort of pressures off feeling to feel like you're uncovering something rather than creating something like ex nihilo, you know? Yes, uh, but I wouldn't say the pressure's off. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. It's a different kind of pressure maybe. It's, yeah. It's not off, but what is the pressure? The hard thing is telling yourself the truth because you have so Mm. many layers of ought and should, what you're supposed to say, what you're, what's cool to say, what's the, what what will people resonate with, what will, what do people want me to say, Um, what do I think I mean by that? You don't even know what you mean, and. I've written entire songs and been playing them out for a while when I realize this is about this. I was writing this and I'm telling a story about this is about my grandfather and how blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, this song is about me. And I had that. That hurt me deeply that that happened. I'm thinking of a particular instance, a song called Obsolete. I said it was about aging. I said it was about my grandfather. 
I'm out playing and I'd had a, a friendship shift and mm. it left me outside and I didn't know where I belonged. And mm. this song is that. I'm processing actually something much mm. closer to home. But it comes out in maybe a universal way or in a sense that hopefully people can, oh yeah, I see, see themselves in it. And um, But I think actually telling the truth about what it is takes a lot of painful honesty Mm-hmm. To say, oh, I'm actually pretty wretched, <laughs> <laughs> or it's not as it's not as cool as you know yeah. I'd like to think. Yeah, but ultimately, the truth is what people need to hear. I think so. I think yeah. that's what, and that cuts right through all those. I think that's what questions. goes out and he, he does good stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, how about you, Brown? How would you describe your relationship to the second muse? To the second muse, uh, I. I, just hearing you talk about that, um, I, I don't think I had a clue for a long. Actually, I don't have a clue about a lot of things. <laughs> that is, but, that's not true. Right? But. But, well, <laughs> but but in terms of, um, you know, I wish I could be like Charlie Peacock. You know, the person that thinks and philosophizes and just makes these great. You were talking about like him talking at that conference you know about the future of of christian music and but i i feel i feel like what after many years of just sort of like being thrown into production and just knowing nothing about it really knowing nothing about music except for my you know piano lessons that i had as a young person never wanted i was pre-med never wanted to be in music and God just had a different plan and just divinely put me in the chair. And it's crazy. It's crazy to me. Can you share a little bit about the specifics of that story? Well, I I was pre-med and then I got, I don't know, just got off the rails a little bit my junior year in college and just felt the need to kind of pull back and take a break. And uh, through a long story, I won't tell you the details of, but uh, divine coincidence, God put me in, instead of taking me to Missoula, which is where my dad wanted me to go, he brought me to Nashville to work for an elevator company with the owner, was an elder in the Church of Christ, which is my okay. faith tradition I grew up in. Yeah. So I think my dad felt like it was a safe place. Mm-hmm. And what happened is I got here and never could get the guy on the phone that day and just drove around. Actually drove on to Lipscomb's campus. Mm. Oh, I saw no a guy who was who I'd barely met two years before at Abilene where I was going to school and and he said, Hey, you need a place to live? Yeah. You need a place to work? Yeah. And so he said, I'd go to a great church, Belmont Church down on Music Row, Don Fento's pastor. It, ch- it just changed my yeah. life. And then we got plugged into Koinonia Bookstore, which is kind of where Christian music, that mm-hmm. was sort of the, the birthing room, yeah. you know, or the hub or something. And, uh, yeah, when I graduated, uh, I I just, my friend who had already moved here said, you love, turn down those other two job offers and just come back to Nashville. And so, literally, he brought me back put me in a bluegrass band, had no business being in a band <laughs> what, of what any you, sort, what, a rubber band maybe. What did you play in the bluegrass band? Uh, uh, guitar, bass, mandolin, and Lord forgive me, fiddle. <laughs> and 
I just I just did my best impression that. of what a fiddler looks like. <laughs> you know, kind of like doing this, but not being too close to a microphone. I wish listeners could see. Oh yes, <laughs> the little sawing away. Anyway, um, after that, I tagged along with him. He was working for 20th Century Publishing, and I'm trying to hurry, but um, uh, he finally said, "You know what? I want to do. I want to be a producer. I'm going to be a producer." He didn't say I want to. He's one of those eights. And yes. um, <laughs> Enneagram eight. Yes, Enneagram eight. <laughs> Going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And so he said, "Why don't you go to Belmont College and and learn how to be an engineer? You can be my engineer." So I thought, okay, I'm so agreeable. Yes, you Uh, are. I love this because you just tucked in with this very strong person. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But look, it's not a horrible combination. Look at this. So, so uh, 40 years later, here we are doing a podcast. But the story of you literally thrown in the deep end he doesn't show up one day and you have to engineer well, actually oh the 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 actual you're you're hitting on it but so he asked me to learn how to be an engineer i was there four weeks we learned to plug in stuff and this is a microphone cardioid dynamic you know what i mean not yeah. cardio anyway he's just, we're just kind of learning basic stuff and he calls up and said hey i just got a production deal with word records we're going to be doing eight albums a, a year, and uh, the gear's coming out to my house. And literally, we're going to start on a record next week. And I'm four weeks in. You're into your program. Into okay. my Engineering 101. <laughs> That's oh right. So he had a friend come out, kind of set things up, and the people that show up are like Larry London, famous drummer, uh, now passed away, Motown, Journey, I mean – whatever joe osborne on bass who played on bridge over troubled water the guy who came up with the lick on drift away for doby gray you know this is like a classic like classic life and and uh uh keyboard player played for elvis and uh, i mean it was just crazy and so i'm sitting down and they're starting to run you know talking about the first song the artist comes in bj thomas massive pop star at the time so here i am in my overalls in my keep on trucking t-shirt you know (laughs) and they talk about the chart and stuff they go out and start playing and the drummer says about five minutes in said hey what's the engineer's name his name is brown yo brown uh can you put some 10k in the snare drum because this snare drum sounds like expletive and i'm this little you know sheltered kid i just turned completely red the windows here i lean my head on the console and say lord what is 10k (laughs) what is 10k so that is the vast experience and preparation i came into this industry with so for a long time you know uh, the well the second thing that happened is girl in my youth group helped i helped make a tape for her grandmother great-grandmother's 90th birthday I happen to play it for Chris. He's like, oh, I like that. He calls up Stan Mosier right there. All this stuff is like. Yes, he's making it happen. He's making it happen. Stan, listen to this. Plays him about 30 seconds of a 14-year-old song. Hey, what do you think? He said, sign her. I mean, it's just crazy, yeah. right? So that was Amy Grant. No and, way. Uh, and he turns to me and said, Brown, you want to produce this? I said, Chris. I don't know how to engineer. <laughs> He's, I, I said, I can't produce. He said, that's right. 
you don't know how to engineer. That's what it was. He said, you want to produce this? I don't know how to produce. He said, you don't know how to engineer. We got, cut the first gold record in Christian music. It won a Grammy. Uh, I think you should. And he just like threw me into the deep end. So let me start doing what ended up being 20-some-odd records with Amy. Yeah. So, so I feel very unprepared uh, uh, and, and ill-equipped. But once I started realizing um, some years in, oh, wait, wait, this is not about me and my job. Mm. This is mm. about Sarah Groves or Amy Grant mm. or whoever's, yeah. whoever's in the chair. And it's all about service and being a servant. Um, yeah. And, then, but, well, I'm going to interrupt you, okay. but you're um, always modest about your, your gifts. But I remember jokingly looking over your console, where is the beauty button? Because Brown has <laughs> such a sense of aesthetic of beauty. Yes. Mm. And for before I, of course, his name is on all the records I'm listening to growing up, and I see this name, I think this is some big deal. Like, really, I'm picturing it a more arrogant guy. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Right. But just like this is this is you know, Brown Bannister, and you're on all these. But it's my favorite record of every one of those bands. Oh. So they do mm. they do records out. But when they do, it's like every time I'm I'm tuning in and thinking, ooh, this is really good of this band. This is yeah. a great then Brown Bannister. That name it goes it accompanies this other sixth sense <laughs> this mm-hmm. sense of beauty so you you did that i've worked with a lot of producers and a lot of them and it's not bad it's this it's part of collaboration but they're expressing themselves as well mm-hmm. and i felt like with add to the beauty it was just this very expression of myself mm-hmm. but um you you do you have language for that now when when you're working on something uh is it completely under the subconscious that you this really a be- ability to bring beauty? Uh, well, I would never credit myself with doing that, but <laughs> but I I think I realized at some point I'm more of a shepherd than mm-hmm. I mean there are these amazing people. Usually, everybody I work with has more like talent, talent and skill in their little finger than I have in my whole person. But it's not about that. My my role is not about that. My role is to go, I love your little finger. I love all those talents. I love all those skills. And yeah. just like bringing, trying mm-hmm. to draw that out and just encourage people to, to uh, in, in a safe environment mm-hmm. where they can just bring ideas forward. Mm-hmm. So really that's more, more my role is shepherding other you people's gifts. You are doing that, but... You also have a very good sense, just natural. It must be natural, what to keep and what to what to get rid of. Okay, I'll and give when you, you're assembling you things, that, when I you guess. when you are assembling things, your your just your sensibilities are very. Um, they're very complementary to what's happening. It's very in tune with, I think, the the zeitgeist of the thing of what's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. in the in the process. So. Um, yeah, I think it's all. It's much more. Um, there's, okay. You have a gift for that. I didn't know if you had any language for that. Like obviously, I have no language <laughs> for it. Well, what I love here though is so clarify for me. Your collaboration together began with add to the beauty. Add to the beauty. Yes. Which like, how perfect is that? That mm-hmm. you're talking about. Um, 
this sense of, and I'm hearing this, I mean, Brown, as you're saying that, well, all I do is I show up and I say, well, I love your little finger and all the talent in it, and I'm going to try to bring it out and um, shine the light on that. Um, and and you're talking about the artists that you're working with. So, But then, Sarah, you are like, well, I love this thing that I've uncovered. You know, mm-hmm. it's not mine. I just found it, and I want to, mm. you know, shine the light on that. And so there's just this, um, like the image I get is a sort of channel, you know, mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. Um, of water that's, it's, it's just this flowing um, sort of self-giving yeah. uh, energy that is infectious and it is beautiful. And that is the very essence of adding to the beauty <laughs> is, in fact, it maybe is. not adding like <clears throat> with addition and accumulation of talent, maybe mm-hmm. Um, which is maybe the dominant cultural understanding of how people make stuff, but rather um, just standing by and saying, look, look over there. That is so cool. Yeah. You know, and that's what it means to add to the beauty. And I think that's so in line with the idea of listening to what it is you're making and, and yeah. with this, this muse that says, stop, pay attention. Yeah. Um, you might not have yeah. all the right answers at the very beginning, and you need I, to listen. I think for me, you you really hit the nail on the head. It's listening. Yeah. Mm. It's observing yeah. and stuff. And I will push back on you, like just sort of the anthropologist brushing back the sand, <laughs> you know, and uncovering the T-Rex. <laughs> Everybody's checking each other's modesty. Yeah, because your ability to – I said in my class this morning that Sarah spoke to I, as much as I love her music, and I just love her music and her songwriting. As much as I love that, I love hearing her talk yeah. about anything, you know, about this piano or, you know, whatever, <laughs> this horrible carpet on the floor. But but the way she, uh, you know, I guess all of us have the same tool belt, you know, in a sense, and language and stuff, mm-hmm. but the way, like knowing what word to pull out. Yeah. metaphor and all that stuff you're amazing at. this is mm-hmm. a fun mm-hmm. word i like what he's saying though i do think we're kindred in our delight yeah. and look what we get to do yes we are kindred yeah. in that yeah and the sense of not being accidental tourists but being a little bit michael carr told me at the very beginning because I had, for me, modeled what humility was, was almost like a self-deprecation process. Right. So you yeah. did something good, and then you you just were, it was brutal. In fact, the better it's, it went, yeah. the worse the aftermath was. Yeah. And Mike came and found me after a show and just said, um, not in this, you know, uh, not in this sort of teachery way, but very, was, I've, I've held on to it. He said, you are not your gift. He said, you, you and I know it, right? Was we, something happens, we get to participate, whatever giftings mm-hmm. that, that we do bring. Um, but but we, we play out you know, a show or whatever, and it resonates with someone, and they come f- to find us, because you're the one, you did that, you said that, you, know, you played that song. Yeah. But they're, they're bubbling up inside with some kind of revelation about themselves, or mm. something's happened in them, there's so been helpful. movement. They come to you, and you feel like, I just need to keep my mouth shut, because what's happening here is not really, it's bigger. You know? And so Mike said, you are not your gift in the sense that we get to be co-celebrators. Look what God does in us. Mm. Look what we get to do. And I think we do have a kindred yeah. approach in that, or, or you know, in, in our natures, maybe, to yeah. say, um, yeah, it's 
Look that's, what we get to do. It, it is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. I feel ill-equipped for it, but here we here we are. And I think that delight guards both of you from cynicism that would get in the way of being able to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what? And that, that's beautiful. That delight is. I'm so glad we're talking about this. It's helping giving me language, mm-hmm. you know, that I maybe didn't have before, but. Uh, one one of God's great having been involved in Christian music, you know, which is a f- funny term to start mm-hmm. with, but but in the contemporary Christian music world, uh, wow, so many of our peers. I mean, I started in the '70s, but you know, so many people who've gotten burned yeah, are hurt. Yeah. You know, the the worst place to work is in the church mm-hmm. a lot of times because yeah. that's where you can. You thought it was safe, and yeah. it wasn't. And yeah. anyway, yada yada yada. Uh, one of the greatest gifts God has given me is is I haven't gotten jaded. Mm-hmm. I still I still believe that the Holy Spirit can can just permeate something, yeah. and you release it to the world, and man, there's just no telling what's going to happen yeah. when people are listening, and it's such an honor. To, so to be a part of that. Let's go ahead and get to um, the song. And we were going to talk about Flip Plane, but Add to the Beauty just keeps mm-hmm. coming up. Would you all mind um, focusing on that one instead? Or no. would that be? Okay. This project is exactly what we're talking about, though, because I worked with you first because um, I had had um, conversations. I'd really connected with radio on that one. But very naturally so. It, yeah. it was a song that I had written. It was part of the record, and it wasn't, you know, I didn't try to write a radio song. It just happened to meet and fit and be yeah. good. It just did well. And that was my introduction. That was sort of like uh, my debutante. Yeah. <laughs> my arrival. And and that still is kind of like peop- a lot of people that are listening now started listening then. And... um but with the second album, I went to create this like very relationship-oriented record, yeah. and then there was like kind of a long, heavy discussion about nothing f- sort of suits radio, nothing's making that leap. So I had to kind of create something that I felt was contrived, because I went, I just kind of had to sit down with the rules and try to create something that fit. And um, but there was a sense that this is your last chance to really kind of break through in that realm, in that yeah. space. We were talking about sp- different spaces. This is your last chance at kind of breaking into this m- more like a radio space. And so I was, we, you and I were talking initially about doing this very, you know, creating a radio-friendly record. And we talked with Jeff, my label president. I don't know if you you remember this, though. Then a few days in, we've talked, we've been we're talking through songs, and I come just crying, crying yeah. <laughs> just devastated. Uh, I can't do this. Yeah. I, I can't, like, whatever goal we've set, it just, I can't make that the goal. Yeah. And you are so, uh, always, but such a good listener, and hey, 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 like, it's going to be okay, and we're going to make the record, like, what do you have in your heart to make? So the mm-hmm. whole project kind of ended up going, you know, um, starting out in this direction, and then moving into where where are you right now what's happening but i'd had the conversation with with charlie um and he had said to me um you are not a walmart you're a mom and pop 
mm-hmm. and you, you people trust you and they cu- keep coming and they will keep coming as long as you are they feel you find you trustworthy and um and but there's there's merit to that that's not without merit being mm. a mom and pop is no. great right. so then we reappro- we came with a new approach to the whole record and um yeah it's just like a oh all yes. the, i just remember that all that stress oh, melting away no. and that's adds to the beauty <laughs> i'm not going to try to be yeah. something else yeah. i'm going to just yeah be Amazing. myself be here and and write about what's what's happening hmm. But the song that stands out to me as being sort of quintessential to the record might be Why It Matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's about the cellist of Sarajevo. And, um, but again, yes, you go to say something like that. The original inspiration is it matters. Creativity matters. Art matters. Adding to the beauty matters. Mm-hmm. Having a sense that there is this un- invisible thing happening matters. Yeah. Um but so I, you, if I were to approach that, when I do approach it with my sort of the front of my brain or the my thinking self, yeah, um, it can end up sounding like a cat poster, or it can be you know <laughs> a inspirational talk, you know. Right. So the second muse to me is trying to get to the 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 truth of um, that I had lost hope that it mattered, mm. that it was mm. my confessing that I. No, I actually, I I stopped believing that. And then that, to me, that's where that truth-telling comes in. It's harder because it is mm. more, it's more exposing of yourself. And it's more like um, getting into, this is my real stuff that I'm dealing with. Yeah. Man, it's almost like you need a more elusive way of talking about the thing you're trying to tell the truth about in order for it to resonate. Like, if you tr- it's like the floater you're talking about like if you look at it it's gone um that's that's beautiful a more elusive way to talk about it because you've been with a friend who's been giving you advice straight on right you know that doesn't and it doesn't like it it's helpful in a way but that's not what a song is for it's or it feels too didactic it comes across as too didactic so how do you actually use art (laughs) (laughs) which is the elusive thing i think to Mm. convey that deeper feeling yeah yeah well would you want to listen to why it matters yes and uh yeah we'll spend just a couple minutes gladly It was me and tell me one 
telling the story the the Bosnian conflict. I guess would most of your podcast listeners know that the cellist of Sarajevo. The cellist I of would not count I, on them I think, knowing. Yeah, I, I didn't that's, know until uh, this song. Yeah. That's yeah. like huge. That know? is huge. I feel Just like we can't that. really talk about that song without that story, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I write statue in a park because cellist in a bomb crater didn't rhyme with anything so <laughs> I made a transition an artistic choice there to make oh, it a yeah. statue in a park That's but good. yeah same similar time frame I'm trying to figure out what my voice is in the world and what I'm doing lots of different people informing that this very gentle shepherd is helping me make <laughs> this record and um but I was struggling with with words before actually you and I worked together um I had done the previous record with Charlie Peacock, and we had been talking about, um, and he's the one who had helped me identify the mom and pop thing, that idea mm-hmm. that I wasn't a Walmart, I was a mom and pop. And in in that same vein of conversations, I was really just saying, what is the point of words? What's the point of doing this at all? Mm-hmm. And, and I was in a, a spiritual conflict of of having spent a lot of time grooming and grooming and grooming my own personal holiness was a, a high value in mm. the in my faith tradition mm. and so it was a very siloed experience of becoming holy yeah <laughs> which is hard and is i think now impossible right. <laughs> and, yeah. i mean i th- i a, a good goal <laughs> but <laughs> but i had been doing this internal work grooming and grooming and grooming and grooming and grooming and looking out at a world that's hurting and a lot of real things are happening so i was kind of in this place where i thought i'm going to go be a nurse or 
a lawyer. You know, all my friends are like, you'd be terrible at both those things. <laughs> <laughs> what are friends for? Yes. And I even had a friend, like, I said that out loud, and they were, like, shaking their head before I was even done. So <laughs> the people around me are saying, I think you're supposed to be a songwriter. Um, yeah. My my girlfriend said, you know what, why not? Why, why don't you write songs about it? And it just felt very not u- not useful. Hmm. And um, Charlie yeah. told me the story of Charlie Peacock had told the story of the cellist of Sarajevo who had witnessed uh, a breadline of 22 men, women, and children waiting for waiting for food. Uh, a stray bomb had fallen on them, and and um, it was outside of his apartment. So he had been kind of firsthand witness to this mm-hmm. tragedy, mm-hmm. and it so devastated him. He was um, a cellist in the Sarajevo Orchestra, and he put on his his response in response. He put on his tail tails, his full tux, went out and played 22 concerts, always in sort of bombed out, bombed out buildings, places of great, where great loss had happened. Um, But he played 22 times to commemorate everyone who had died. And at times he was playing in, in not exactly like war zone, but there'd be sniper fire and different things happening around. Mm -hmm. So there was danger to it as well. But it drew the eyes of the world to to yeah. what was happening, it, this protest of beauty coming up out of a bomb crater. There's this man playing the beautiful Adagio in G, um, and he's, uh, in his grief, lament, he's making this protest of beauty. And that's been a mobilizing metaphor for me, picture for me, in um, that it matters. You know, it's such, it's such a, like, peacemaking, you know, it's not not active, so here's this active protest of beauty, and and seeing that, it became sort of the the litmus of my moving forward and what what I want to put into the world. Yeah. Makoto Fujimura says, "Culture is not a war to be won, but a garden to be cultivated." Mm. Now it's a lot easier. You don't like something Preach. to just shoot at it or to go, you know, come at it and just say stop it and attack or whatever. Do that yeah. front, you know, that more aggressive stance. But cultivating a garden takes time and planning and thought so i i was working with all these images and thoughts that um our ability to to kind of tell these stories and to keep keep our hand to the plow Mm -hmm. of peacemaking and of making beautiful things and of putting putting questions into the world that might lodge themselves in the back of someone's mind who Mm -hmm. just like they have for me to ask myself a question what is the good news Mm -hmm. what is the good news we're told to spread it, but what is it exactly? You know, and that question lodged in my brain, and those kinds of things work on me for years. Yeah. So I think we can. That was kind of the thought uh, behind this song. It matters that we keep trying to to come at this and tell it again and tell it again and and yeah. you know find as true a, a reality as we possibly can. But I'm at that table asking, "Tell me why this matters," and I'm feeling like pretty. It doesn't <laughs> at mm-hmm. the, you know, at the point that I'm working on. Yeah, I mean, our instinct is to think that for something to matter, it needs to take up a lot of space, or be big and noteworthy in some mm-hmm. some way that that kind of fits our dominant measurements. But as you're talking, I just thought of the last line of the song, like a single cup of water. Yes. Um, yeah. And. That line always undoes me because, precisely because of it, the um, it's a single cup of water. The yeah. um, 
smallness. And if that can matter, then... Yes. Or even the line before it, say, just attention. Yeah. Just in in a world of distraction, like what are these small things I can give that are... a mustard seed. or, Or a moment of peace in a world of dissension, a moment of attention, of looking at somebody in the face... Mm-hmm. I see you. Mm-hmm. I'm here with you right now. I'm recognizing the moment we're yeah. in. Yes, that these are this these are important small gifts that we give and participate in. In the middle of you know a lot of of sound about yeah, about my own self as an artist, what does yeah. it matter? You know, always at all these levels of voices i'm sure as you're dealing with teaching your students i mean they are at war inside themselves the artist is you know a great deal just trying to put that flag alone in the ground that it matters you know that i even try that i that i continue to be creative um yeah so the the that whole album was it also marks my turn towards social justice issues Mm mm-hmm and trying to speak about them in a way mm-hmm. that there's just a lot of it's loaded it has a mm-hmm. lot people have feelings about um yeah. i i went uh, a little bit after this i went to was invited to go to lausanne which was like this a global congress of of like evan- the evangelical churches meeting mm-hmm. um in south africa and it was amazing to me the the war, the kind of internal war between word and deed and word and deed and um and it has to be all of those things that yeah. have to be working yeah. working together so you hear in a lot of the music i'm starting to turn my eyes toward okay then adding to the beauty has to have some sort of embodiment mm-hmm. there has to be the cup of water is an embodiment of not just tuning and tuning my own personal relationship with God, uh, but mm-hmm. also having this Let's dynamic get some context. Of, yes, so. of having I, I'm yeah. in a community. I you know like forget about politics, but I am in a polity. I'm a person yeah. in a body of people, and we make decisions. So that makes me political, <laughs> like it or <laughs> yeah. not. Yeah, and I'm I'm. What am I going to put in there? What am I going to you know reflect yeah. and be? Man. That's so excellent. And one quick word just about the songwriting craft thing. Something I've noticed in a lot of your songs that um, makes me geek out a little bit. Okay. Is, um, <laughs> is and, and this has to do with that last line, that um, single cup of water, is that it, it, I, I have heard sort of this way that your songs often set up the listener to like have certain... Um, ideas planted in them early on and certain um certain observations and then they just it's it's almost like a slow burn like you get to the very end and and by the time that you're in those last few lines um i i've noticed several times that you throw in just a really small curveball just like slightly Hmm. different Hmm. like shake it up just a little bit add the the single cup of water line you know Mm -hmm. and you think at that point of the song you have like 20 seconds left you know you think you've heard the whole song (laughs) but you haven't heard the whole song right and um and i've just noticed that and that is always um that that is always the the moment of greatest impact um for me too so often listening uh to what you write uh, is just that 
you work for it through the whole song until there's just a few lines mm. at the very end that just like absolutely slap you in the face mm. with <laughs> this you know very subtle um insight and i think that's just a, a great thing to um to observe and shine a light on for do you do that on like, purpose yeah is well, that a conscious or do you, you get know, to it I and like you go i got something else i need to say I mean, what, yes. like your bridges are incredible. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I was having say. a conversation with my wife recently about just like best like bridge writer ever. Oh Sarah man, Groves. true, <laughs> so good. Thank you. <laughs> I yeah. just told I love bridges. It's my favorite part of the song. Yeah, because if I've been working in the micro. Now I can go macro. Yeah, and You've if I've it. been working in the macro, now I can go micro. And I can, it's to me, it's the moment that I take you by the face. Hmm. I take mm-hmm. your face in my hands. Right. That's a very intimate gesture. I'm not doing it right now for the listener. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pantomiming you're, it. You're motion, yeah, yeah, <laughs> motioning right. towards, I can't move. towards I can't. Drew's face. <laughs> but it's the moment that I take you by the face. Right. And what what does this mean for us? Yeah. What what implications does this have for us? Right. So I do love I love a good bridge. It's not throwaway for me. Oh, it's no. also musically where you can go somewhere completely yeah. different. So you've been you created a whole room you're in. I mean, you create such beautiful um sonic rooms, sonic spaces. Mm-hmm. And I know you're saying right now in your head, well the band creates it, but you <laughs> wait, but when you're Cultivate choosing what it. to keep and what to leave behind yeah um you're creating this sonic and you are at play i love watching you when Mm -hmm. you're doing that i remember (laughs) coming back after you had been working on uh the vocal in the track for you are the sun and you're like jello it's pudding it's like eating pudding pudding. (laughs) (laughs) and you're at play you're creating a sonic atmosphere and then to me the bridge you can you know it doesn't have to be jarring but you can Peter Gabriel does this a lot. I've mentioned him several times because he's my favorite, but love to be loved. He just goes in this whole other space and, um, and it just kind of pulls you up. It's like Mm. you, if you weren't listening, now we're going to grab your attention. And uh, did you hear this? Yeah. But it's not non sequitur. No. I think that's the beautiful thing um, because it's easy to just insert surprise for the sake of surprise. Yeah but it not cohere with the rest of what you're doing. But I think the the beautiful thing is realizing as you're listening to this curveball moment that it was always there under the surface, like it was always the potential of of the verse and the chorus and the other verse. Yeah. And, um, you're just bringing it out. And, and again, that's back to the ex- excavating um, yeah. archaeological sort of And metaphor. allowing... A lot of people when they're writing songs, they put too many songs into the one song. You know, when you're working mm, with a new mm-hmm, writer, mm-hmm. they're often writing three songs in one song. And mm-hmm. often my advice is you have three, You have, these are three different songs, you know. But then once you figure out what that song is about, I work with a lot of new writers and do some consulting kind of things um, at the art house and part of the songwriter thing the day before. If someone wants, they can do an hour mm. where they come play a song and we just talk through it. 
And I had one girl play this song, and it was about friendship, and she it, she played through the song. Then she told me the story, and it, she said, well, I've been meeting with these same friends for 20 years in a coffee shop in Chattanooga. And I'm like, okay, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> the word Chattanooga needs to be in the song. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the name of the coffee shop. Maybe yeah. the, you know, like the all the details of the story need mm-hmm. to get into the song because yeah. you're trying to write about friendship in right. this broad sense and that it that all needs to be we need to the, the more intimate detail won't it will make it more universal actually right and it's the paradox um, to, of to particular yeah to bring in the particular and those those careful details and things but but to have ex, to take the time before you write and just go go at writing to yeah, to have all this kind of information that you're again, it's like flower arrangement arranging. Mm. You're pulling. What colors could I use? And what? Yeah. But if you don't have a lot, and if I sit down to write a song and I don't have all that sort of material to pull from, then it's very tortured and it it often doesn't get finished and won't work. Yeah. But if I have an idea and it's already something that's interesting to me, it's a yeah. it's some kind of it's some kind of uh, epiphany that's been working mm. in me. Then then I oh can pull in all these things i also really enjoy adding a a new idea or a new lyric or something that does that even in the outro yeah if i'm singing even and you know i love i love a long outro and i had have had to be reined in (laughs) (laughs) this song needs to just end yeah (laughs) it's like somebody who talks too much in concert (laughs) they just we want to hear your music too you know Uh, yes just but i like to sometimes even say or reference, make a pop culture reference, or like um, at the end of when it was over. Oh man! Nice thing. Come talk to me, won't you? Please come talk to me. You know, just throw that in there, and then that pulls in this whole other right. viewpoint about what's happening. I love it. that's the first record, first song on the record. Yeah, I love that track. So go listen to that track. <laughs> Whoever we're talking to, I'm going to listen to it's this awesome. album on the way home. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Through. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been such a delight to get to talk to both of you. Thank I've been looking forward to this fun. for a while. So thank you so thank much. Thank you. For taking the time. Our pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Speak no, for yourself. My pleasure. I no. <laughs> I won't speak for you. Bro. Our pleasure. <laughs> Our joy. Yes. No, it's been fun. <laughs> oh, man. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio in the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.